Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies. With Ryan Spread. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. After reading the work of today's guest, there was, in my opinion, a deep connection of the symbolic and literal between owls and UFOs and individuals who've experienced both. There's a strangeness to these accounts that defies any simple explanation. In his work, the author I'll be talking to today brings forward personal stories from people around the world where these mysterious experiences are explored in depth. The ancient mythology of the owl is repeating itself within the modern UFO report, and I am personally sold, primarily by the sheer amount of reports. What plays out is a journey of transformation with an owl at the heart of each story. Today, I'm talking to Mike Cleland, about his latest companion book all about these connections and the incredible things that happen when the owl and the UFO converge into an exploration of reality itself and beyond. This is Stories from the Messengers, accounts of owls, UFOs, and a deeper reality. Now, let's talk to Mike Cleland. Mike, thank you so much for joining me again today on Somewhere in the Skies. You were my first repeat guest, my friend. First? No way. Yeah. Can you believe it? No way. You must have had someone else. <laughs> Not yet. If if you can believe that I've been able to get that many guests to talk about UFOs without repeating, I, I'm... Well, I'll repeat myself, uh, uh, you know, before oh, yeah. the show. So you'll, it'll be, a, it'll be deja vu a little bit, I think, when the people listen to this. So. I think so. If well, they I heard the first one. Right, right. Well, it was one of my most downloaded episodes for sure. So, um, yeah, man. So I'm currently making my way through your new book, Mike, Stories from the Messengers, Accounts of Owls, UFOs, and a Deeper Reality, which is a companion to your massive undertaking of the first book, The Messengers. So before we dig into the book, I would love to know, what was your motivation to write the companion after the first book? It clocked in at over 400 pages. My God, man, to even continue after that, I can't imagine. So what was that like? Well, it actually clocked in at, I think, two pages under 400 pages. I think it's 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 398 pages or something like that. So I guess I say oh. <laughs> 400 pages. I, am, I think I'm allowed to like round up a little bit. But um, when I wrote the first one, I was beholden to to edit things down to boil everything down because I was the points I were trying I was trying to make were were these I mean I was trying to make how to say this I mean I felt like I was going out on a limb I was I was presenting this idea that owls and UFOs are somehow connected and not only they're connected on one level they're connected on this other level in this other way in this third way there's like this 
this shocking volume of stuff where owls and UFOs are somehow co-joined. And to make that point, to a fault perhaps, I, I put I crammed a lot of stories in there. And I had to boil those stories down. So what would happen, I, I know you know just what I'm talking about. You talk to, so you've talked to someone on the phone, right, who's had these experiences. Mm-hmm. And the conversation lasts an hour, and then it goes into two hours, and it gets to about six hours, and then you call back and do that again a few days later. And so you're, you've, you've, and what I ended up, you know, this amazing, powerful stories that are so interwoven with synchronicities and strange experiences, like seeing the UFO is often the least of it. You know, there's all this other stuff. You know, I was fascinated. I listened attentively to all these accounts. And this novel needed to be written about nearly every person that shared a story in the first book. And I just, it broke my heart to edit this stuff down just to snip, snip, snip and boil it down to just the bare, sparsest couple of sentences. And it bugged me and it, it haunted me. And I was like, I don't, I gotta tell these stories more completely. So even before the first book was done, I knew I was going to do the second book. In the footnotes, it even says things like, you know, this story will be further explored in the in the companion book to the messengers. And it felt good to, I basically wanted to cram every possible curious thing, I, or to tell these stories completely. Obviously, I still had to edit out, you know, the, the, these things. But I wanted to tell one story as completely and thoroughly as possible. And I guess I did that 19 times because there's 19 chapters in the book. So Yeah, exactly. And I know I know that feeling all too well, Mike, of, you know, these people, they spilled their their souls to you when they come out with these things. And, you know, sometimes it only takes that one person to listen. And then to have to go and, like you said, sort of snip and mold and make it as, you know, as neat as you can is... It's hard because we both know that these stories are not neat. They're yes, not, they're a mess. They're yeah. a mess. That you can't tie them up in a bow. You know? Exactly. They're very rarely in any chronological order. And uh, it's chaos. It can be chaos. And, you know, I, I would imagine that would be a huge challenge. So I'm so happy that even before, you know, the first book came out, that you were you knew that this was the road you were going to take, that these stories definitely had to be explored further. And I think that's awesome. And just like the original book, in your introduction to to this one, you give us a sort of a four-point overview of kind of what was covered in the first book of, you know, the owl as alarm clocks, archetypes, initiation, and a totem something, which which I've always loved because it kind of gives you an idea of where we're heading and what the owl might mean in terms of what we're about to hear throughout the book. And I, I think that's very important to consider when you're weaving through these experiences. So I would love, could you possibly run us through uh, those those four things that I mentioned, what these things are in terms of the owl, so that we sort of get a uh, an idea of where we're headed with this conversation. So that's this is what happened. I, people would say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? What, what Owls? Why owls? And they would ask me that. And I would correctly reply, you know, I have no idea why owls. It's That's the mystery. And that didn't really fly. So I realized I had to formalize my thoughts a little bit and, and it took two books to formalize my thoughts to this degree. So I came up with four points. These are all blurry. They're, they're I can't, I'm not locked into anything. And these are as open-ended as they can be. Yes. Number one would be the owls are alarm clocks. They, they, the simplest answer to why owls is they are here to wake us up. And then, the, then you immediately have to ask, you know, well, wake us up to what? And then, and then you're back straight to like, I don't know, the mystery, you know, so what, what are they waking us up to? I mean, the cover of the book says 
owls, UFOs into deeper realities. So I, I, I feel that part of this process of interacting with UFOs, and I would also say interacting with owls. I've had a lot of people tell me owl stories that are profoundly powerful and have changed their lives. Mm-hmm. And it wakes them up to a deeper reality. So yes, yeah, so alarm clock wakes you up to a deeper reality. Maybe. That's, that's tidy. It's simple. Yeah, I feel like I can wrap my mind around that. Owls are an archetype. That would be number two. An archetype is one of those words that, you know, you can, I'm sure like you sit around in the dormitory at the philosophy department of some Ivy League school with the bong and stay up all night and try <laughs> to define what archetype really means. And you just, so that's one of those terms, right? So within our shared memory bank, our genetic memory bank is this stored meaning. The meaning of the owl isn't in a book. It's in our stored memory bank. It means something deeper. Uh, Luke Skywalker, he means something more than just a, just a guy who flies around in, a, in his, his, his uh, star, starfighter there. Mm-hmm. He is an archetype of the hero, right? So the owl is an archetype for this deeper reality. And we think in terms of symbols, right? So even on the cave walls, like some of the earliest drawings in the world known to man, the earliest drawings known to man are of owls. And so it's there. It's part of us. It's part of our genetic makeup. The question again, what is the archetypal meaning? I don't know. It's, it, it's linked to this deeper reality. The third thing would be the owls are here to announce initiation. Initiation into something, right? So, mm-hmm. so the, the initiate, like in a, in a ritual, in a ceremony, there's the beginning of the ceremony. The initiate is going to take on a new role at the end of the ceremony. I mean, that might be joining the Cub Scouts. It might be, you know, your first Holy Communion. It might be taking ayahuasca in the jungle, you know. So there is a ceremony. An initiate is is then ushered in to a new realm. Now, a religious scholar would, would say that the initiate, you know, the initiation rites are completely metaphoric. And the profound change is just a symbolic, right? But the true believer would say, no, no, the 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 change would be entirely real. So once again, an initiation into what? So, I mean, I mean, I have so many stories of someone sees an owl, owl flies off, and then they see a, you know, flying saucer land nearby. Like, it, it's endless, the number of stories I have like that. So, the owl is there to announce initiation. The UFO landing is an initiatory ritual. It is a rite. I'm going out on a limb there, and I'm being purposely provocative saying it so forcefully, but that's my sense after after doing all this. Then the question again, an initiation into what? I don't have an answer. A bigger umbrella idea would be the, the owls are a totem of the transformational experience, right? So seeing a UFO can transform someone. You see a UFO, everything you thought about reality whoosh, goes out the window, Yeah. right? There's a new paradigm you are thrust it is thrust upon you you are every you know the new york times i guess until last december the new york times said ufos are not real and we are expected to like live by that dogma sure they show up in fiction they show up in fantasy but that's but we are told that ufos are not real by by the by the gatekeepers of our consensus reality as soon as you see one all that crumbles and you are forced to rebuild your own self so you have a transformation now there's like other, there's other transformational things, you know, um, death. Owls show up around death. That's the ultimate transformation, mm-hmm. right? So, and as I said before, I have spoken to people who have had owl sightings that are so profound that they have changed their lives. So, again, if it's a transformational experience, if the owl is the totem of the transformational experience, a transformation into what? 
So all four, so one, two, three, four, all of them get asked. The, all you have to ask a question at the end of each of them, and everything is open ended. So what I'm saying is that I wish, I wish, I wish I could latch onto something. I've given up trying to find that elusive answer. Like I just I was like, I know I ain't going to find it, and I'm not stressing over it. And it's made me a much calmer person in a way. But what I can say is that we are confronted with a genuine mystery with this, with especially with the owl stuff. I mean, the UFO thing on its own is a genuine mystery. The owls showing up at symbolic times, not even involving UFOs, other things too. Shamanic initiation is, they show up all the time. And that's just understood and respected within other cultures. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's not recognized in the West in any kind of meaningful way. So, yes, that was a long answer to a, to a short question. So. Oh, no. I mean, I mean, these four things are, you know, it, it's kind of what we sort of weave our way through with each of your chapters, with each of these experiences, is how does it transform the person? That has always intrigued me most, is that human aspect to all this, of how it how it changes a person from everything from their mind, their body, their spirit, even physiologically, you know? I mean, these things, they can do things to you that you would never imagine and open up that reality. And the well, fact, Mike, I think that you don't have answers is good. I mean, you are the only one out there connecting these things. I mean, the individuals are as well, but you're the only one writing about it. And I think that's... Well, that's, I mean, that's not quite true. I mean, there's in, in many, many books, especially the books of Whitley Strieber, yes, he, addresses, he addresses these issues often in a paragraph here and there. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm picking and choosing, you know, I had a, I had a, you know, I had a, what do you call it? A, a buffet table of, of books and resources where people would mention the owl. And what I did is, you know, just filled my plate up with a lot of other people's research and then did some of my, and then really wrestled with these ideas on my own. So, yeah, so I was, I recognized this pattern within mm-hmm. the literature before I ever, and, and other people had too, but I kind of went all wiggy on it and just kind of fell off the cliff in a sense. <laughs> as far as transformational, here's something to think about. And, and this I talk about in the conclusion a little bit and talk about within the text. And I even mentioned it in the first book too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should, it's funny because if it's, there's 19 chapters, right? And each chapter is a singular story, but then there's multiple people in some of the stories. So it, it's not like I can count out how many people are in the book and how many people are healers. But I'll tell you, it's, the vast majority, I think there's only like one or two people within the book that wouldn't qualify as a healer in some sense. Oh, wow. And I mean, Reiki, Reiki straight up, boom, people, you know, like I just, I don't even bother. I just write it down on the, on the, when I talk to people, I write it down on the, on the page during the conversation we have on the phone. When I talk to people who've had these experiences and I just wait for them to say it, it's like, oh, by the way, I'm a Reiki master. I'm a practicing Reiki master. I do energy healing. Um, if they don't say it like that, they say, you know, my wife gets migraine headaches and I, I, I have the ability to touch her head and make her headaches go away. Or they have, you know, are someone straight up a nurse? You mm-hmm. know, there's mm-hmm. one of the stories in there. It's a guy named Mike is a, is a nurse, you know, in a hospital. So people are healing. They are healers in these, in this, in this, particularly in this book, in the context of this book. So people have had these long, convoluted, mixed up, swirling, unending, tangled up owl and UFO experiences are also healers. Now, what that means, I have no idea. That that actually it gives me like how what do you say it? That's like a it's like an optimistic way of viewing it. Yeah. Like I, I uh, and I and I I did not set out to write like a fluffy feel good book and in in at some level it is sort of a fluffy feel good book. You know, it's got a, it's the, the the overall message is optimistic. And I and I 
I wanted to be unattached to that, but that's what emerged. And I had to sort of pull on that thread and let, and let the stories tell themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Let it fly, man, for sure. Well, I would love, I mean, the fact that you got to expand on each of these stories, I would love to run through some of those with you today, if you're comfortable with that. Sure. I know you haven't read the entire book. So which ones are you? I mean, let's talk about something you've read. So. Yes. Yeah. So there were some that really stuck out to me. Um, the first was in uh, chapter two, and this was The Awakening of Susan McLeod. Uh, yes. Yeah. McLeod. Susan McLeod is the most big hearted, wonderful. She's this, um, she's Canadian. She's got a thick, funny Canadian accent, and <laughs> she talks really fast, and she just operates from this heart focus center she's one of those healers Mm -hmm. she does yeah she does hands-on healing she does yeah so yeah she's fits that she is the quintessential example of that healer right right and i mean you know going off of that again this isn't just about ufos and owls that susan experienced many different things when when the owl came into her life and when she realized that so i'd love to hear more about that if you could run us through great yeah so susan susan mcleod is a uh, she lives in canada and she this is going back a few years i think she's actually moved since this point but at, at the time she was living in a house in the woods of ontario and in the back of the house, she had a teepee, and it was down by the river, and, and she, would, um, she would use it for, you know, herself. It was her little, tr- you know, she would perform little traditional ceremonies back there. She's part uh, Mi'kmaq. She's native of, well, I guess, First Nation is what you would refer to it in, in uh, Canada. And the, the Mi'kmaq tribe is the, is the tribe from the East Coast there that she can trace some of her ancestry back to. And she's also Scotch-Irish or Scots-Irish, and, and, uh, which is wonderful because there's another – that's another part of – are the lore where you know you have little people and yeah. myths of and lots of uh, psychics seeming to emerge out of the, that those two those three lineages I guess so the you know the Celtic the Gaelic and the and the Native American actually a friend of hers had died a friend named Barry about eleven o'clock at night she went out to her teepee and she wanted to perform a ceremony so she built a fire she burned some sage she pounded on a drum and while she's in the teepee she feels something press against the fabric of the teepee behind her. And, her, and it seems big. She's like, oh, no, there's a bear out there. That was her first thought. So she's kind of like, uh-oh. So she, so she peeks out the door, and she doesn't really see anything. So she takes a couple steps out the door, and, and she's confronted by five Sasquatch standing in the path on the way back to the house. So it, it, she, she, she had this feeling like, uh-oh, like, is this my time? You know, like it was kind of – she was so – she said she wasn't quite frightened, but – she was shocked, let's say. She carefully backs into the teepee. And now it really now she's freaked out. When she got back in the teepee, she got scared and she puts more wood on the fire and she pounds the drum really loud and she then she says, Okay, now I'm gonna try this again. I'm gonna try to get out and I'm gonna walk back up to the house and are they out there? And she peeks out, she doesn't see them, she walks up to the house, and as she's walking, she sees that they've moved away. And they're in the exact same pose. They're they're posed like a family portrait. There's two big tall Sasquatch in the back and three what would seem to be immature Sasquatch standing in the foreground. This mimics her own family, her and her partner and the three kids. So she runs into the house and she wants to tell her kids, oh, she's like, I just saw Sasquatch in the yard and I'm super excited. And she gets to the house and the kids are like, mom, mom, something's going wrong. Everything's going crazy. And she's like, what is it? What is it? And she's like, the kids are crying. They're freaking out. And there's these black shadow beings that are flying around the house. <sighs> so she's, she's, a, she's kind of, I mean, not, 
I don't think she would call herself a shaman, but she does shaman-like things. So she gets out the sage, and she runs through the house, and she burns the sage, and she commands these entities to leave the house. And she's, she says, I can't tell the kids about the Sasquatch. They're already freaked out. What am I supposed to do? So she, i got to tell my husband. He's in the, in, the, in the garage, which is a woodshed. So she runs down, and she tries to open the door, but the door's locked. And not only is it locked, he's like jammed a piece of wood into the door so it can't open. And she pounds on the door, and she's like, let me in, let me in, because she wants to tell him. He opens the door and he goes, what the hell is going on? You know, what were you doing in that teepee? Basically implying that she like, and he, she's like, what, what, what? And he's like, there are these black beings. They are flying around the room here. They are peeking in through the window. There are black beings in here. And it's like, what? So she can't tell him either. He's totally freaked out. So she's like, kind of like at a loss to even know what to do and it's there at the garage and finally she says i need to just take a step away so she steps out onto the driveway and prays to god she prays she looks up to the heavens and prays to god for some sort of answer some sort of solace some sort of understanding and she's looking up this is so powerful to me she prays to god and she looks up and she sees a triangle shaped ufo form out of the inky blackness right all of a sudden these three stars are moving above her and there's no way to see the the stars through the blackness of this form and then it gets a little lower and then it's just above the trees but she describes it as kind of flitting in and out between this reality and something else she says it's like a like a hologram kind of kind of on static she can see right through it so it's not a physical craft in the way we understand it and it hits her like and it hit me too you know sasquatch are not big hairy beasts that live in the forest there's something more shadow beings are not evil ghosts that live in a haunted house there's something more and and a ufo is not a big metal spaceship from another planet it is something more so she's hit with all of this stuff and and if we back up she began the whole thing with a ritual it was the question i ask when I, when I talk to people who've had these experiences, what were you doing just before the event started? What were you doing just before the, and I'll say it for an owl too, what were mm-hmm. you doing before you saw the owl or what were you doing before you saw the UFO? She was performing a ritual, a ritual connected to death, which is the lore of the owl. Now, one of the questions I asked her is like, well, this is how we met was through the owl stuff is in a way because she saw my Facebook page. And it's like, oh my God, the owls, I love owls. And she's got owls all around her house. And then the, that's, so that's the first half of her chapters telling that story as completely as I can. And the rest of the chapter is is telling a bunch of her own experiences, many of which involve owls. She has an amazing story where she was in her yard and she was waiting for her daughter to come home from town. And she was in the yard. She had built a bonfire in the yard. And there she was like, why isn't my daughter coming home? This doesn't seem right. And this owl flies over her head. And it, she knew right away. She was her first thought, like, oh, my God, someone's dead. She just knew it. And then her daughter pulls in the driveway and says, the, the, the roads are all blocked off. So there's been a terrible motorcycle accident. Later, there's a, a man was killed in a motorcycle accident. The man's brother just looked around and tried to figure out the closest place to, to call someone. And that was the gas station where Susan's son was working at the time. Oh. So this guy randomly calls the gas station and says... I'm the brother of the man who died on the motorcycle. I just I want to know any details of the event. And, and he says, well, here, this I wasn't working that night, but um, this fellow was working here that night. So it gives her the house number. Phone rings. Susan McLeod picks it up, who saw the owl, and they start a conversation. And, and leading up to this, leading up to the phone call and after the death, Susan had been hearing, and she, she imitates it. She goes, woo-hoo, woo She'd been hearing this funny call in the woods. And, and they were they were like, 
someone's out in the woods. There's like somebody out partying in the woods. It's like teenagers. There's somebody out being rowdy in the woods. But it was this really happy, joyous, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. And she later realized it was an owl. But they first thought it was someone out there having fun and partying. And she says, you know, like, I saw an owl fly right above me. It was a barred owl. And the guy says, that was my brother loved owls. And the barred owl, that was his favorite owl. He loved owls. And then she said, and you know what else I've been hearing is this noise. And she mimicked. He just did what I just did. Woo-hoo. She did it over the phone, and the guy starts crying. He said, my brother would make that noise every time he was at a party. He would get so joyous, and he would get rowdy, and he would make that call. And that was his kind of, that was his signature call. So how do you, you know, like, so how do you, how do you back engineer that? Yeah. What's going on? I don't, so the way you do, you can't back engineer, right? So you can only, like, say, like, wow, that's a beautiful story. And there's, there's several more in that chapter that are equally as powerful. Right. There's one where they, she had people over for Thanksgiving and they, they went out into the back and they were taking a walk and she's somewhat of a shaman. She's very spiritual. And, they, and, and both of these people were widows. It was a man and a woman. The woman's husband had died and the, and the man's wife had died. And they said, let's, can we like ask for a sign? You know, like, well, what do you think we should do? And they said, well, let's, let's just have an owl show up. And they, they both said, yeah, let's do that. Cause my, my, um, Husband loved owls, and the my in the guy the guy says my wife loved owls. So they get down on their knees and pray, and this owl lands on a branch right next to him, and they take pictures of it. <laughs> said, I didn't put them in the book; they're not really that exciting of a picture. But you know, so this is this is normal. I'm at the point now where these kinds of stories are real; they're normal; they happen; they're happening to real people. Right, and the string of events for each of them, it's its almost, it's overwhelming in the sense that, like, you want to make connections, but we don't truly know if there are any. But again, like, it's the connections, I think, that the individual makes with them all, Mike, too. And I think that's thats what I love about what you do with these, is you let the people tell their stories. Just allowing them, like, the space to tell it and then giving your own comments on it, I think, is very important you know susan's stories um it was almost too much for me to handle but then it just gets crazier and crazier as the chapters go on in terms of like how many different experiences these people are having this is funny I, oh yeah do you know miriam delicato that sounds very familiar yeah so and she's a she's a she's the, I mean, i'm stealing her line basically okay. we had this conversation we kind of i asked her the question and so i'm going to ask it of myself and i'll give the answer that she gave me so how do you know this shit is real you know, and like, how do you prove that to someone? How do you prove it? How do you know? And my answer would be, look at my email inbox. <laughs> yeah. Like nobody, like the CIA is not sitting in the basement trying to like mind control, you know, like mess with me by making up these stories. There's too many. There's not enough people in the basement of the Pentagon to flood my inbox. Like this. <laughs> right. So like something's going on. Cause I mean, like the stories are all, I, I, they're, they're not the same. They're not identical, but they have the same flavor. Yeah. So like, like, I may not have the exact story, but I certainly get stories that feel, that have that mood, that, 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 that eerie, haunting mood. I get those stories all the time. Well, another one that really stuck out to me, Mike, was in Chapter 9. This was the story of Denise Lynn and the Three White Feathers. Would you mind running us through this one? Again, another healer. Yeah. This is like, so, and funny, it's Denise Lynn, actually, she's, she's got some Native American heritage, and she looks like like susan mcleod they look like sisters so denise lynn is is a very popular writer and author and she's done a lot of books and you know a lot of um 
she's kind of at the forefront of of that of the a lot of books on on animal totems and things like that and so denise lynn was shot and killed when she was 16 years old i think that's right in in the summer of love 1967 so she was on a little motor scooter and she was riding down the road and some guy rammed her and and she ended up in the ditch and he stopped his car and rolled down the window and pulled out a gun and shot her and later a car came by and found her in the ditch and this is in 67 so they had to someone else ran and called the, the ambulance and when they when she was at the hospital she died she went into the light Just classic perfect near death experience and she felt she had this magical vision she was just flooded with love and she was awash in this golden light and she was at this river this magical river and she was like ankle deep and she was walking across this crystal and magical river and she knew if she got to the other side of the river she wasn't coming back and then all of a sudden she felt like this rope around her like she had she had this vision of like being lassoed she had cousins that would were in Oklahoma that had a horses and would practice their lassoing and she was like oh my god i'm lassoed what's happening and and she heard this voice that said you know you are not done you need to go back and she's like no no <laughs> and then she she wakes up in her hospital bed and so this shows up this near death experience multiple times in the book and it also shows up in the in the messengers too in the first book some people would say that a to be a shaman you need to have first died to travel to the land of the dead oftentimes shamans do that metaphorically right they'll go through a ritual they'll go in a cave and then come back out you know or they'll go through a ritual with drugs or ayahuasca or mushrooms or something like that that will mimic death you know symbolically but she really she is so this is and i've so she's and and i it's funny because i actually called her a shaman in one of the rough drafts and she got right back to me and she said i am not a shaman i do not use that name and i very cautiously in the chapter say she does do shaman like things mm-hmm. so i think that's fair um but she's very clear that she's not a shaman so later on she um she she's with her husband and they're in going fishing in their northern california she's living in san francisco at this point and she um they're driving home and she's like what's that light and the husband can't see it it's like i don't know i can't see it it's on your side of the car and it's like well there's this light wait a minute it's turned it's telling us to follow it he's like what no it's not telling us it's just a light in the sky and she's like no 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 turn up this road right here we got to follow this thing and he's like ugh. they drive down this all of a sudden they're off the main highway and then this little tiny rural road and they're in the forest and and then he's like, I'm not driving any farther. She's like, we'll get out and look at it. So they stop the car and he's like, uh-oh. As soon as he sees it, he's like, oh. So she looks at it. They're standing there together. And she says, she says, tele- she says in her mind, she says, can you blink your lights? And it blinks its lights immediately. And then she says, can you blink them again? And it blinks them again. And she felt a presence enter her mind that was like soft and kind and questioning and and then she had this wave of love and homesickness and compassion. This sounds like the near-death experience. Yeah. Right? She's got the same emotions. So in her mind, she looks at this flying saucer way off in the distance, and she shouts like telepathically, please help me be of service to others. Help me to help others. She shouts this over and over again, and this, this flying saucer goes and flies right up and hovers right above the trees, right close to him. And – Eventually, she's like she's like screaming in her mind, like you know, I want to help others. Help me to help others. And then a little airplane flies in the sky nearby, and the the, whoosh, the thing flies off. And 
she feels like it went wanted to go farther up the road. And she tells her husband, let's go farther up the road. We need to see it again. He's like, no, we're getting out of here. And so they drive back and she kind of says, I think that thing wanted us to follow it up the road farther. And she, he was like, I didn't want to drive up the road. And they get in this huge argument, the worst argument they've ever been in. And the next morning, all is forgiven. And the husband and wife, they make love and they, and she says, I'm pregnant. Now she had been told repeatedly by doctors over and over and over again, because of the severity of the gunshot wounds, which were in her abdomen, that she would never be able to have children. And he said, you can't have children. And she's like, I am pregnant. I know. I know I am. And then nine months later, their daughter Meadow is born. And now she is also working with her mother, doing writing books together. They write books together. And the UFO literature is, is awash with strange UFO sightings and pregnancies. Yeah. So here's a mysterious pregnancy. Right. So this is she shouldn't be able to get pregnant. She is, you know, the daughter is now a spiritual healer and author. Later, she goes into the woods to find her true name. And she's that's her intention. She was Native American. She wants to find her true name, her spirit name. So she walks into the woods and she finds this nice spot. It's hot in, in the out in the sunshine, but the woods are cool in Northern California where she lives. And she sits down and she meditates for a little bit. And she says, I am meditating to find my true name. She opens her eyes and there's an owl on a branch right in front of her, close enough to touch. They're staring at her. They lock eyes. And she says it straight up. I had a telepathic download. And I've heard this many times, mm-hmm. both from people who've locked eyes with aliens as well as people who have locked eyes with owls. I had a telepathic download. And the owl flies off. And then when the owl flies off, there's like, there, was a, there had been an eerie silence in the, in the forest. And all the little cricket noises and rustling leaf noises gently come back after the owl flies off. When the owl flew away, there were three little feathers in the branch where the owl had been sitting. So she picks these little feathers up, and they're little downy white feathers, and they're in her hand. And she, she hears a voice in her head that says, Put the feathers in your medicine bag. She's like, oh, I have this nice medicine bag back home. I don't have it with me right now. And she hears this voice that says, you are your own medicine bag. Put the feathers in your medicine bag. So she eats them. She eats the three feathers right then and there. <laughs> Boom. Not a question. She said, like, just, uh, it's not, it's really hard to eat a feather. Just, yeah. you know, they're really dry. That's hard to swallow. So now this is the Eucharist. This is, this is the, this is the holy communion right she has been confronted with a mystical being right in this it's not jesus but in this case it's an owl it's plays out like a ufo sighting you know telepathic messages and silence and and so she took on the name white feather now she later meets this fellow named credo mutua credo mutua is a shaman he shows up he is all over the book uh, passport to the cosmos that's the book where dr john mack the harvard professor of psychiatry compares and contrasts ufo abduction with the rites of shamanic initiation and credo mutua is a south african he's a zulu i think zulu shaman and um and i had this thing written up and and i was like oh my god this is so cool and i do you know um uh joshua kutchen yeah yeah absolutely so he wrote a book on weird foods Right, And I sent him a draft of this. It's like, oh, here's a great one. You know, like this, here's an owl. That's like, she ate the feathers of an owl. How's that for like, you know, eating weird food? <laughs> and then he read the whole chapter and he said, um, you know, Credo Mutua ate, uh, ate an alien, don't you? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and it's like, it's like there's like legitimate articles where he like is interviewed. He's, I think he's still alive. He's ancient. He must be 95 or something. 
And he said, yeah, he tells this story and he just tells it as plainly as can be. And it is so far out. And I include it in the book. And, and I even have like little caveats that say, you know, even John Mack said it is hard to talk to certain indigenous, you know, to be a Westerner and to, and to listen to the stories that are shared among shamans in a, what we would call a primitive culture. But, you know, it's kind of. Uh, that might not be the right word, but you know, he says it's like they say things that like I it's how do you fact check this, you know? Yeah. So he said that someone came to him and had a little blob of ugly gray flesh, and and him and several other shamans went through a ceremony and ate this little blob of flesh. They they came near death. Once again, the death they basically they couldn't walk. They were bleeding out of all their orifices. They were completely on the verge of death, hallucinating like crazy. They and then this then they came out of it and then were basically the way he describes it is like an LSD trip for the next month, nonstop. And I mean, this is ayahuasca, and ayahuasca is referred to it. I mean, it's not ayahuasca, but this is like the you know there's these rituals of psychedelic initiation mushrooms and ayahuasca and and i you know i i talk about the that that there's something called eating the god and this is like straight up an ancient rite that seems to have been co-opted by the by the catholic church into or the early catholic church in and has become communion so like we're in the west every sunday catholics all over the world are you know kneeling down in, in their church and partaking in the in this ancient rite that has is repeating itself within I mean, I don't even know, like within the, the UFO lore and within the, I mean, in this case, within in this story, this there's a UFO component to it, and within the owl component, it just, I, yes, yeah, so they, this is where to tell. I I had no choice but to tell this story as fully and extensively as I could. It it brought a tear to my eye, it, to be honest, Mike, especially when when she found out she was pregnant. I mean, like what what could be, you know, even besides the events that happened to her just the idea of like wanting that to want wanting to have a child your whole life and then finally after all of this powerful transformational things in your life finally getting that one thing you've always wanted to be a mother it's it's beautiful it really is yeah and and um and so one of the things she had a hard time with credo mutua because credo mutua looked right at her and said you my child have had interactions with the aliens you have been taken many times. And she's like, I have not. She said, yes, 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 you have. <laughs> and so I, in many of these stories, I dance around the question, right? Because I, I, there's no way to answer this. Like, you know, I asked, I asked Lynn, Denise Lynn straight up on a telephone call, like, are you, do you think you're an abductee? And she said, no, I don't think I am. But Credo Mutua thinks I am. And then I'm like, yes, but you are sure acting like one, you know? <laughs> so yeah. I don't know what happened that night in, when the UFO flew right up to your house. But I mean, right up above the trees, above your car, not your house, above the yeah. trees near her husband's car. So I, it's not up to me to, to, to come to a conclusion. But all the, all the puzzle pieces fit together for that one. The the other one that really caught my attention too, Mike, moving back to UFOs for a minute, was uh, chapter 16 of the book, Owls and the Road at Night. This brought forth a very intriguing UFO sighting, ushered in by many, many owl experiences, heavy on the owls of this one. And that came, by the way, of the prime witness, Maggie, and how she reacted to it all. That was also very interesting. So I'd love if you could sort of run us through the string of yeah. events with Maggie. This one was great. So Maggie, that's how this is a Christmas of right after the book came out, right? The book came out in 2015 on the 5th of December. And before Christmas, 
I'm getting, and you might. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm getting long letters through email from this woman, Maggie, who lives in Scotland. And they're long, they're dense, they're just, and they're kind of frantic. And I recognize that frantic quality. And she says straight up, like, I feel like I'm going crazy. This is frantic stuff and all this owl stuff. And I had this owl thing here and I had this owl thing there. And it's just like, you know, she she's going to buy a little owl. And then she goes out and she's walking the dog. And the guy says, oh, there's owls over there. And then she's, you know, the next night she's, she's on the beach with her husband and the, somebody else says, Oh, there's owls with babies over there. And, and so it's just like one after another, after another, boom, boom, boom. She's getting hit with these owl synchronicities. And then she's driving a friend home from, from a, basically from a date. And, you know, they, they had, um, way they went to, they dropped them off at a restaurant. Her and her husband dropped her, their friend off at a restaurant. And it sounds like he didn't have a car. And so, and then they picked him up later and, and they were driving home and they turned this corner and there's this, thing hovering above the street and it's funny because i talked to the talked to peter and he the husband and he i kind of said in one of the lines of the things that i I said like you know and then peter was shocked and he said i was not shocked i was a little surprised but i was not shocked the only thing that you know just it was startling to turn that corner and see that craft and then she's trying to describe this thing but every time she describes it another memory enters her mind and then finally she's like she knows I was on board that craft. Like I was outside the car. I was on board that craft. I have memories of being on board the craft. And it's this, I tried to, I say it early on in the chapter where there's something frantic about it. There's something frenetic about it. And at one point she says she found an owl feather. This is early on. She found an owl feather in the, in the, in her yard. And she told me over the, over this, this is going back. This is in December of 2015, right after the first book came out. She said, you know, like, Oh, my, my husband, he knows a lot about all feathers and he knows the significance of it. And I knew as clear as anything I knew, I just got right back to her and I said, is your husband a shaman? And she said, yes, he is. He studied with this Canadian natives and, and he, he's a shaman. And I, and it's, and it doesn't sound like it's very well accepted in his community. And he, he keeps kind of hush hush his present community in Scotland. And then they were, they couldn't figure out whether they, they were both sort of so mixed up that didn't, they didn't understand whether they had dropped the person off already mm-hmm. or if the person was, that they were dropping off was still in the backseat of the car. They called him up and said, do you, do you remember like when we turned the corner, we saw a UFO and he like roared with laughter and he's like, we never saw a UFO. 
And, and they were like, Ooh, I guess he didn't see it, (laughs) (laughs) but I don't. And there was missing time and her kids started drawing pictures of aliens and, and writing like UFOs are real or aliens are real on things and without any prompting. And there was just all synchronicities up one side, down the other. And I felt connected in a way to this story. I mean, I felt like it was, it was, it was so personal for me. Some of the things that happened in that story, in the in the conversations going back and forth across the ocean. So that one, that one was I felt so vitally dedicated to that story in particular. There was a point when I felt that they were going to back out. They were going to say, "Ooh, I don't think we should have the story in the book." Mm-hmm. And I never pressed them. All I did was sent them a final draft, and they said yes. They made a couple of very small changes. One of them was that that where where um, Peter said that he wanted the. Uh, that one line taken out that he was shocked or that he was startled or something. Frightened, I think is what I said. Mm -hmm. And that was about it. Yeah. I mean, and when you, when you can feel that connection, I know I had that a couple times in my own, my own book where something just, it resonated more than other aspects of things. That's when you know you've really tripped onto something when you're, you're so deeply embedded in the material that it does start to, open you up as the writer as well i think that's awesome like and you know there there's there's a trio of chapters towards the end of the book that i'm starting to make my way through right now and you categorize them as owls and gratitude i thought that was really interesting so i'd love to know like why did you decide to group these together what were what were some of the well there was all one chapter it was all going to be one chapter and i was working do you know suzanne chancellor absolutely yeah Yes, I'm working with Suzanne Chancellor, and she's like, Mike, um, this is turning into its own book, this three chapters. <laughs> right. This is like, you can't make this one chapter. I'm like, no, it's one chapter. I want to make it one chapter. And I'm like, I'll make it one chapter in three parts. And she's like, well, I guess. And and so we eventually made it into three chapters. And mm-hmm. so the first, this is, okay, the first chapter, this, and I'll, oh my God, it's like, it's so long-winded t- telling this stuff. So the this guy, Don, gets a hold of me, and he sends me this letter. And I mean, you must know what I'm talking about. You ever get into long letters? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, brace like yourself. Long? <laughs> like, okay. Like, and I feel, I mean, like, so the, so he said, oh, here's, a, here's a, uh, an, a story for you. And he had lived in this little town in Missouri, grew up there, and farm town. And he knew every, he knew all the, he knew everything about it. So he left town and moved to Florida as a young adult and then came back. I think he was in his 30s when he came back. And, and so he's back in his hometown. He runs into his brother. His younger brother and his brother's got his like camouflage camo gear. It's hunting season. And, and his brother's got, um, you know, he kind of makes fun of his brother a little bit. Like, oh, like you don't need all that stuff. You don't need the camo gear. You don't need that dough scent to sprinkle on the, you know, on the, so that to attract the bucks. And he's like, well, you haven't been around here for, for years. Things have changed. Hunting's not like it used to be. It's a little harder than it used to be. And he said, listen, I'm going to go in the woods in a half hour. I'm going to come out with a deer. So he goes into the house and he gets his dad's old 30-30 and walks into the woods and he knew just where he was going to go. He said he knew a little trail that the deers always used. So he climbs a tree and he's in the tree and, and he does something. This is again, there's this thing that showed up and I am not like a churchgoer and Christian. And this Christian imagery is all over this book. Like, <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, I don't know what to, ah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't like, I kind of want, a part of me was like, you know, wanted to very cautiously edit that out. And I was like, oh, I can't, you know, like, so he says a prayer and, and he says, I am praying with gratitude in advance. I want a quick, painless kill and I want to feed my wife and family. So he's in the tree and then this, everything gets quiet. Everything gets eerily still. 
very strangely silent. And he looks off and there's this dot, this white dot coming towards him off in the distance. It's bobbing a little bit as it approaches him. It's getting closer and closer. And then owls fly very slowly. He realizes it's an owl. Owls have great big wings. And the reason they fly so quietly is because they have these big wings and they fly slowly. So very slowly, this snowy owl, which is very unusual to see in the lower latitudes around Missouri, a snowy owl flies past him. And as it flies past him, he locks eyes with this thing and it flies on. He turns his head and this thing flies down just above the, in the open area. And the owl flies right over a deer, a doe standing broadside in the meadow right below his tree. So he picks up his gun and he carefully aims and he fires one shot and the deer runs off. And he, he said, I'm not a hunter. So this is, I'm paraphrasing him. He said, any hunter knows that you don't chase a deer into the woods because you don't want it to run for miles. You want it to lay down and die peacefully. He said, I may have even fallen asleep in the tree for a moment, which is a powerful, I mean, this is, I couldn't have written, if I was writing fiction, I wouldn't have written this. Climbs down the tree, he walks into the woods in the direction of it. He says, it's got to be in here somewhere. I know it was a clean kill. And he walks around, he walks around, there's no deer, there's no deer, there's no deer. He's like, I need help. And the squirrel goes, the squirrel runs up to him. And runs right up to him, looks him in the eye, and then the squirrel turns around and runs off into the forest a little in a different spot. And he follows the squirrel. And he realizes he didn't, he finds the deer. The deer is in a slight depression. The squirrel leads him to the, the deer. And as soon as he sees the deer, the squirrel like gives him this look like, okay, job done, whoosh, takes off. And he's standing there, couldn't see the deer because it was in a slight depression, but he had walked rather close to it when he was searching before. And he looks up in the tree just above the deer. And there's the owl. Now... I, this story, he, he told it so beautifully, I basically just cut and pasted his story and let him tell it. And he had been studying remote viewing at this point in his life. And he said he was like living in this kind of like nonstop synchronous cloud of, of attachment to this, to this greater realm. And so I, I discussed the, within that chapter, I discussed the, um, the, some of the issues of, as far as remote viewing, you know, military remote viewing. He was working with Joe McMonagall. Joe McMonagall, he met him over, e over uh, email and Joe McMonagall was his mentor. So there's, and just, there's all this connection to this stuff and there's just, it just goes on and on and on. And this is, I couldn't rein this in. I had to like really explore the, the aspects where he's doing remote viewing. And, you know, he, he met Jesus while remote viewing. And it was like the most profound spiritual thing in his life, you know? So now, okay, so this, he, you know, he's got a story of meeting the green man or the green man peeking in through his window as a little boy in the farm. So he, and he met his, his oh, Scottish grandmother was the, was the, the psychic in the family. And she explained that, you know, he was very frightened of the green man. She said, the green man was, is not here to hurt you. You know, he's, and how would you describe the green man? Her grandmother says around the breakfast table, the night he was at his grandmother's house, saw this green man made of leaves standing out the window and freaked out, screamed. And grandma and grandpa ran in the room and like, oh, my God, what's wrong? What's wrong? <laughs> and and uh, he's and then he's described it to his grandmother and she knew just what he was talking about. She asked, you know, how would you describe him? And he said something he said rather sophisticated, like he he is of the forest. He knew that was sophisticated as even as a little boy. Said he is uh, he is of the forest, and a little while later I get another email. It's this guy named Joe. He tells a story of going deer hunting. He's got a deer stand in a tree. He's walking to the tree, and it's nighttime. And he looks up in the sky, and there's a UFO. 
he pulls out his camera and his phone and tries to take video of it. It's all black. There's nothing to see. You can't really take photographs of the nighttime sky with a camera like that. And he's, he's, he's astonished. It's scary. Flies off. He's doing a little voiceover on the, on the video. And, um, he, uh, goes into his tree stand. And as soon as he gets into his tree stand, he feels something touch his head. And then he turns his flashlight on and there's an owl on the branch right across from him. Eye level in the tree next to him. Owl and UFO. It's perfect, right? And then there's the same vibe to this. He was like grateful in advance for the hunting. And he's had, you know, there's the same, it's basically mimics Don's experience. Joe and Don, those experiences are so close. So I spend these two chapters comparing and contrasting these two stories. Um, Joe, the second fellow, he's struggling with his spirituality. Mm -hmm. And he's basically saying this is a, you know, this owl stuff is producing synchronicities in his life. He he woke up and there was a he was reading um, the Supernatural by Whitley Strieber by Whitley Strieber and Jeffrey Kripal, and there's a point in that book where someone says uh, where Whitley Strieber says that this experience is the un is is being is the is winking back from the unknown. So there's a reference to winking, and and as soon as he reads that, he hears on the radio that this woman is saying like, oh, this woman tells a story where she's driving with her daughter. And, the, and a red cardinal lands on the road, and the mother says, oh, that's grandma winking back at us. Mm. This happens at the same time he's reading that story. Boom, boom, boom. He tells his wife, I had this weird synchronicity about winking, and a red cardinal, boom, a red cardinal lands on the tree outside the, 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 the house. So Joe is at this point, he's on, he's, at his, he's on the back porch, and he's, this is later, a little bit later, he's like, I need, I need, I need to pray. I'm all mixed up. Like this owl stuff, this UFO stuff, it's like oppressive. And then he says, I can't formulate my prayer. I can't formulate my prayer. It's like, wait a minute. I just, I, am I on the right path? And right at that moment, boom, 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 five red cardinals land in the snow right in front of him. He said it was remarkable. <sighs> they're red, they're bright red color and the, and the, the white snow on a gray day, there was no color around in these bright, bright red. And then they go boom, 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 boom. They all, one after another fly off. Cardinal, look it up in the dictionary. Cardinal means something of the utmost importance. It's per, uh, I mean, like, ah, I can't, how do you make this stuff up? And, and it just, so there's a third story. And this is the problem, right? Yeah. I had to formalize this story. Like I, so the third story, there's a woman named Kelly and she, she puts a note on Facebook, like, you know, like magical nature day. And she tells a story like I had been hiking the day before and I just wanted to see an owl and I wanted to see an owl. This was yesterday. All I wanted to do was see an owl. I was hiking with my friend and I was whining. I want to see an owl. And they even heard an owl and tried to find it. They couldn't. And so the next day she didn't know she was supposed to hike. She didn't have, a, she was all of a sudden this, this like, Oh, I have some time to hike. I'm going to go run and do a hike. She had this big thing planned and then it kind of fell through and she just kind of went to this little trail near her house that she hikes all the time. And she sits on a rock and she's like, I am so grateful for this beautiful fall day. And right at that moment, an owl flies right above her head and lands on the tree across from her, right at eye level. All three of these stories, the owl, they lock eyes at eye level. I, that's, that's important to me. And then so I explore her story and her memories as a child and missing time and ufos and she's in the first book she's in the she's in one of my favorite stories in the first book is is kelly's story where she is on a hammock in her yard and i'll tell this i'll just you just cut me off if you want i feel like i'm on a, i drank a lot of coffee so i'm on a roll here <laughs> no i you love just it man cut me off if you need to so kelly's this is in the first book kelly 
is in the hammock in her backyard and she is alone and she's she's trying to find some sort of proof that these things are real she has she has all the earmarks of someone who's had direct contact but she has no conscious memory of it but she has all kinds of things that imply it and hint it and she's looking up into the sky she lies there closes her eyes and counts down from 10 and opens her eyes hoping to see something she said you know i just was trying it i was just playing around her son who was 10 at the time runs up and hops in the hammock with and says mom what are you doing she's like i'm playing this game i close my eyes and says, oh 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 let me do it let me do it and he without any prompting they both lie there they close it's like we're gonna close our eyes and the boy says dear god can we see a ufo three two one and they open their eyes and there's this crystalline sparkling ship like hovering out at the edge of the, the property above the trees <laughs> like far away but i mean that's their line of sight and she's like, she's like, run inside and get the binoculars. So the little boy boom, 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 runs to the house, turns around, boom, 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 runs back to the hammock. So they're out there looking at this thing in the sky. And the very, and the, her husband, who's very skeptical of this stuff, comes out with, so what are you doing? It's like, we're looking at this thing. Here, look through the binoculars. And the thing is gently moving, so he has to walk on the deck to get it in there. They stay in the hammock, and he has to walk on the deck to, to, to watch this. So that happened on a on one day. I'm jumping now. I'm now we're going completely to another book. So we're in the big blue book rather than the the, uh, the green book. Mm-hmm. So I got that story on one day. The day before, I had sat and talked with Susan Kornacki. She is very outspoken about her experiences. She's she's out. She's talking about it. She does interviews, and she contact. It's like I she hinted year like years before that she had an owl story, and I I was took me forever to get a hold of her, and when I finally did, this is the story she told. She was at a Easter party, and the and the day couple a couple days before on Good Friday, this is so beautiful. On Good Friday, she she felt this like surge run up and down her spine, and she kind of even blurted out like, "Oh my God, am I being crucified?" And I had to interrupt like, "Wait a minute, you said that like two days before an Easter party? That was like Friday. You said that on the Friday." And she said, "Yeah." It's like, do you, how do you know what? I mean, you, that's the day Christ was crucified on Good Friday. And she said, "I had no idea. I didn't know that." Like, well, yeah, okay, so, so this is like, this imagery, like, I think it's, my sense is that we are, in the West, we have the Bible as our mythology, right? Maybe in Athens, they have a different set of mythology. Maybe in, in you know, the Pueblo communities of, of the Southwest, they have a different set of mythology. But we're stuck with this Bible mythology, and it and it emerges in these stories. So she's at this Easter party. All of a sudden, her spine is going crazy. And she's like, oh, my God. I." She said if she feels like a Tesla coil, like exploding in her spine. She has this Kundalini-type experience. And she says, I got to go. And she leaves her daughter with her husband. She said, I'm going home. I just I can't. I got to go. So she drives home. And she lies in the hammock. She's in the hammock in the backyard. And as soon as she lies in the hammock, trying to chill out, beautiful spring day, Easter, springtime, New England, as soon as she lies in the hammock, boom, an owl lands at one tree, hammock's tied between two trees. Mm. Owl lands in the tree behind her at her head and lands at the tree in front of her at her feet. And these owls start talking to each other. And she feels this electric surge churning through her body. I, I just get the clear image of a of a circuit on a, on a circuit board, right? You know, it's got this little thing. It's plugged in with two things on each side. And yeah. the little circuit is like recharged. It's getting zapped. So, like, her batteries are being recharged by these negative and positive owls. Her husband comes home again. Skeptical husband comes home. She says, what do you see? He says, well, there's an owl on that branch, and there's an owl on that branch, and they're hooting. It's like, yeah, okay, just got wanted to make sure. She said after that, she had been wanting to do hands-on healing. She doesn't call it Reiki, but she's been doing hands-on healing. And right after that, people just started calling, calling her out of the blue. So do you do hands-on healing? Because I have this thing I need to work on. And so she started, she started, became a healer, 
right after these owls kind of zapped her. So, and then if you if you have Kelly and Susan sit next to each other, I have a photograph of them together. It looks like sisters. Like, I almost want to say twin sisters. It's not quite twins, but I mean, they look like they are, it's remarkable. So here's these two stories, you know, basically one on a Monday, one on a Tuesday that arrived in my lap without me trying. I guess I did try because I'd been trying to get a hold of Susan to hear her story for for years. <laughs> so, okay, now we're going to go back to the, to the new book. So they have these three stories, the same thing, right? They didn't arrive day after day after day like that. But these three stories paralleled each other so much. And one of the subtext of these stories was this sense of gratitude. And and I, the, those three stories are the are the least UFOE, if that makes that's a word. That's not really a word. <laughs> um, they're the most powerful to me collectively three in a row because there's there's like this magical lesson that's in those stories that emerges out of these three experiences and that's the culmination of the book in a way i as i said before i did not try to write a touchy-feely book but that's the book that emerged it's there's it's some there's other stuff in it too but it is it's a very sensitive book the book was originally had it did an original cover that was blood red so striking it was so like graphically powerful and i and i kind of realized like this is not a blood red book Hmm. this is a soft book this is a this is not a hard book this is a soft book so i changed it to this kind of nighttime green the cover now so it's like like the owl lit by the moonlight that's kind of what i was trying to do Absolutely. And I mean, the colors just blend so well together on both your covers, but the new one, like the eyes, oh my God, just it, it captures you unlike anything. And I know that's what people experience when they see the owls in real life as well. So you, you, you evoke such such a powerful feeling just with a cover, Mike. And I think once you actually get into the words of the book, it's only... Uh, it just gets better. Well, there's better, words man. in there too. Yeah, you open the cover. Don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, there yeah, are some words in there. Now. Yeah. Well, moving away from the book for just a sec, Mike. Certainly, we're not going to move away from owls. I still find myself going back to the idea of owls playing a role in paranormal. And in a recent essay you posted on your blog, you even connect it to the supernatural and the work of someone we all know, Charles Fort and Kenneth Arnold. Now, this is something I had no idea about. So would you mind touching on this for us? So Kenneth Arnold, father of the modern UFO era, he's the guy in 1947 flying in his private plane above uh, Mount Rainier in Washington, sees nine shiny objects. They're not saucer-shaped, but he says they skipped across the sky like saucers on water. And that's where the term flying saucer came from. And And that's what people started seeing afterwards. He did not see flying saucers, but that's what people reported. By all accounts, he is a stoic trustworthy guy I, I literally say like if you wanted to cast a guy in a in a hollywood western who is the upstanding citizen of a western town you would just you would no one could be more perfect than casting kenneth arnold you know he lived on a ranch in idaho and kenneth arnold had a pet owl i talked to his daughter kim some years ago she had mentioned this in an interview and i was like i just like she kind of just dismissed it just like oh we lived in a great house i had a great childhood we grew on a farm we had horses i we even had a pet owl when she said that it was like what <laughs> kenneth arnold had a pet owl so his life was was a wash in every thing that has since come to define in my opinion not everything 
but a long list of things that define the UFO contact experience. Later in his life, he said that he had telepathic communication during that initial sighting. He said it was very distressing to feel something invading your mind. He did not, for obvious reasons, 1947, I, he had every right to shut up about that. He told about it, I think, in the, in the early 70s. I think he died in 1986 or so. So he had telepathic communication. He saw orbs in his house. He felt he was being followed and monitored by the government. He had a book on his bookshelf that he pulled out. He got really frustrated trying to explain how, 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 how hard it is to deal with mainstream UFO researchers. He said, you, and he was with this uh, journalist. He said, you want to hear it? Pulls out the, the complete books of Charles Fort. It's a great, big, thick, fat book. And he sets it down and says, this is Charles Fort. He's finding the same things I'm finding. Now, what you were alluding to is, and I had this written in the book and it didn't work at all. I couldn't figure out a way to include it in. And I said, you know, damn it, I'll just put it as a blog post. So in the book, The Supernatural, there was a chapter written by Jeffrey Kripal. The Supernatural came out less than two months after my book, The Messengers. Both of them feature the eye of an owl. I have two eyes on my cover of the book that came out in 215. Whitley Strieber and Jeff Kripal have one eye on their hardcover book. So in the book, Jeff Kripal talks about all the weird stuff surrounding Kenneth Arnold. One of the things Kenneth Arnold said was that he felt that the UFOs were alive. He saw one UFO, which he compared to a jellyfish floating in the sky, the same way a jellyfish would float in the ocean. And he flew above it in his plane. He could look down through this giant jellyfish. There was another one that was, he said, was solid as a Chevrolet, metallic UFO flying side by side with this jellyfish. He said he could fly above it and look through the translucent body of this flying jellyfish and see the trees below. Now, when Jeffrey Kripal wrote about that in The Supernatural, he wrote the quote, which I paraphrased poorly there, um, <laughs> about the creature from the ocean being seen in the skies by Kenneth Arnold. And in the book, they also, Jeffrey Kripal, they jump back and forth and they talk about Charles Fort a lot. And Charles Fort was, a, was an author from the 19, I think he, between the 19 teens and the 1930s, he wrote five big, fat, dense books that are almost impossible to read. They are so dense about comparing and contrasting all this outlying paranormal stuff. And that's where you get the term Fortean or Fortean and, um, you know, frogs falling from the sky, those kinds of stories, as well as UFOs. So Jeff Kripal reads this quote or, or includes this quote about the jellyfish in the sky from Kenneth Arnold. And he said, I wonder if he was reading Fort, question mark. And I read that and I was like, I know he was reading for it. And I, and I am friends with Jeff Greipel and I sent him an email. I said, look at this. Look what I found. <laughs> look what I found. I'm so awesome. You know, and I found a quote where he pulls the book of the complete works of Charles Fort off his, off his shelf and shows it and says, this is what I'm finding. Like I'm finding the same thing Fort is finding. So, so I felt so cool that one of my heroes, Jeff Greipel had asked a question sort of sort of to the wind. Like, I wonder if he was reading for it. I had the answer. And when I did that, I kind of, so when we exchanged those emails, it happened all in one day. I looked up on Wikipedia. It was Charles Fort's birthday. The day we, the day we exchanged these emails where I said Charles Fort was having this, you know, he had asked the apocryphal or the question and, and I had the answer and, and it was it all happened on one day. And this is, this is the, the, 
the cloud of synchronicities that sort of surrounds this kind of stuff. I, yeah. I, if I don't get these synchronicities, I'm kind of disappointed, you know, so I, <laughs> kind, of, I kind of get it. I'm addicted to them in a way. And I, and I'm, yeah, if, if they ebb down, I feel like I'm like off the path or something. Right. Right. And I mean, the whole idea of synchronicity, just in general, Mike, like, you know, digging into that, that awareness that comes with synchronicities and possibly that deeper reality. Something I, I really want to get deep with you um, as we sort of wrap things up here is one of my favorite researchers out there. He had this to say about your work. And um, I, I love to just quote this. This was what Nick Redfern said. I get a strong sense that Mike Lillen was guided to write this by the UFO intelligences, and I think the reader will get that. This is the first time I've seen this level of both the book and its author being inextricably linked to the phenomenon itself since Streber and Communion. I believe the phenomenon intended it to be written, published, and read on a large scale. I think Mike's book is another example of this. Wow. So now, while he was talking about your first book, Mike, the fact that Whitley wrote the foreword for this companion definitely, it it builds for the case for all of this. So what do you think? Do you feel that there's some sort of intelligence or something kind of guiding your work as you're going along with this idea of a a deeper reality? What, What do you think of that all and what those people said about you? We, the question you asked was, do I feel yeah. there's a guiding intelligence leading me? And the answer is unquestionably yes. So, I mean, I have no proof, right? When, when I read that, so that actually came in a private letter to me. And I, and I, and I kind of said, Nick, can I, and I had to change like two words because he was saying you. He wasn't saying Mike Cleland is inextricably linked. He was saying you. It was a letter to me. It was a direct. So, it was a, so what happened was I gave Nick one of the first, I paid him, I gave him the initial draft of the book. And I said, can you read this? I just feel like I, I don't have a, I can't figure out which way is up. And, 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 and he gave me some totally pragmatic stuff. He said, at the end of this chapter here, you need to kind of write a little summation and that leads into the next one. And then here you, you define something, but you don't define it thoroughly enough. You got to fill that out. So it's just a handful of very straight, pragmatic editorial things that I needed. And then at the end, he kind of slips that in there, you know, mm-hmm. and we, and it was, and it was like you, Mike, you are inextricably linked to this phenomenon. You, this book, your book will, will, is, is guided by some grander intelligence. Two things happened. Like I was kind of embarrassed in a way, like I'm from the Midwest. I don't take compliments very well. I'm, you know, but I also recognized I, I understood it and I felt it in my bones and I and I felt that he was correct. And I had felt that during the writing. I cannot tell you how many times I would be working on something like, oh, this chapter isn't working. I just need some little thing. I just need to plug in one little story that'll little coalesce, that'll congeal these disparate thoughts and ping, the email rings. I open the email. It's like, oh, here's the perfect story. Let me just drop that right in. It's a little more complicated than that. But that first book, less so the second book, though the second book was hard work. This first book was also hard work, but it was written in this synchronistic cloud where it just felt like like it was unfolding, like every time I took a step forward, the path would just would just lay itself out for me. Again, it was hard work, and I and it it would be incorrect to say that first book is channeled. It ain't wasn't channeled. There is, but it was. Oh God, I'm so cautious saying this. I can only so I gotta like give all the caveats. I yeah. sense, or I feel, or perhaps I sense that I was guided in some way by some intelligence beyond myself to do that work. Hmm. And the and the owls themselves. I mean, how the owls showed up in my life initially. 
Uh, so, yeah. you know, I basically said, like, I didn't pick the owls. The owls picked me. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, that that's a good way of looking at it. I mean, while we want to have this idea that, like, we're in control of everything, um, you know, there, there seem to be greater powers at work. And I, I think by just sort of accepting that idea and letting it sort of pull you, like, that's going to be a much more rewarding journey, no matter where it takes you and no matter what kind of answers you find, at least in my opinion. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that, you know, there's a researcher named Alan Green, and, and he he said synchronicity is like like a, like a compass on the open ocean on a cloudy day, right? Mm. So you're in a boat, the open ocean on a cloudy day. You how, how do you how do you travel? You need a compass, right? So that's how I've been trying to lead my life. Mm-hmm. Synchronicity. Sometimes the lesson is very clear, the message is very clear, and I've been trying to follow those messages follow those clues i love it man well i mean we i clearly am going to keep following as well because you've tapped into something that so many of us we kind of had an inkling of like you mentioned earlier there's been references to the owl and ufo connection throughout the literature throughout television throughout pop culture everything everything you can think of philosophy religion blah 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 going on and on but like the idea that we can now turn to something to really find those human experiences, I think, is vital. And I know you're not done. I know there's probably more yet to come. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in no hurry to write another owl book. Let me, I, I think it's, it's you total it up to it comes out to about almost. Uh, I think it's like 670 pages. That's, that's a lot of pages on owls and UFOs. So. I was going to ask if there was uh, any, you know, that, that that always bothers me when, you know, you spend two years of your life writing a book and then someone's like, cool, what's next? It's like, come on. Well, I do have some other things planned. I was thinking about doing it. I'm trying to do a, a book on the audio book version of the of the stories from the messengers it's right. ungodly slow but and then i'm also thinking of doing a little fiction work or something like that but um i'm not backing out of the research right. but i mean i i don't know what else if i could say about owls i just worry i would just repeat myself you know i do a blog post now and again and yeah. and such so well there is you know before we leave here mike there's one more aspect to all this that you brought up that uh you know people like Jeffrey Kripal or, uh, you know, Jacques Vallée, um, a lot of these people have sort of tapped into this idea, and you do as well, is mythology and folklore. And you write about this several times. Do you believe that these are, I guess, sort of like a tool to help connect us to the owl and UFO experience? So so when I was working on the book, right, so but the first book especially, you know, I, I was – People would sort of, hey, Mike, what are you, what are you doing these days? And I'm like, well, I'm working on a book. Oh, that's interesting. What's the book about? And I would have to size a person up. Like I'd have to like, oh, my God, am I going to drop the <laughs> UFO bomb? And I'd kind of – every once in a while, I'd be like, uh-uh, I ain't going there with this guy. And I'd say, it's a book on mythology. It's about owls. And, and they're like, that's interesting. And then I could talk easily. We could have a perfect little you know, dinner table conversation about mythology and owls. And I could go on and on and on. And I would never have to bring up the UFO thing because there's plenty without bringing up the UFO thing, mythology and owls. And my sense is that the same archetypal powers that have been interacting and shaping mankind since the very beginning are still there. Uh, They're there. They're there. It's my email inbox. I mean, I get these mythic stories day after day after day. The stories I told at the end there of of the owls and gratitude, you know, people seeing owls while hunting and while in the woods. And there's these are kind of bland stories in the sense that there's there's but it's but to me they're very powerful and i tried to address that these archetypal experiences these mythic experiences are still part 
of our human drama now. We had a way to formalize them back around the campfire when we were, you know, in a primitive village. Presently, in our fast-paced Western society, we mythology, you look up mythology in the in the dictionary, it's, it says fake, it says false, it says like a fairy tale. That's That's our definition of mythology in the dictionary, something that is false. And I am saying, no, mythology is something that is alive and vital and plays an important role, not only to ancient man, and not only in the dusty books on the shelf in the philosophy department of some college. They are playing a role right now real time with with us the there are the book it is not by accident that the book is called the messengers there are messages being delivered they are elusive they might not be clear but i am convinced that the 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 symbolic appearance of the owl is a is a message and that we have to listen absolutely i i could not agree more so where can we find stories from the messengers um and all of your other work you can go to my – you can just Google my name, Mike Cleland Owls, and my blog site will come right up, and it's all over the blog. I'm not I'm being shameless. I'm trying to promote the hell out of this thing for, for – I've got to eat. <laughs> As uh, you should. So, yeah. So, uh, there's a, so you, yeah, you put everything on hold for two years and do this. And so, yes, and go to Amazon. You can look up the messengers. You can – and there's – it's interesting. Yeah, this, I could go on and on about this. Like, I was going to go – you don't need to hear more synchronicities. But um, – <laughs> Uh, just look up my name. My website is uh, hiddenexperience.blogspot.com. Once again, you just type in my name, Owls, it comes right up. You type UFO Owls, it comes right up. Yep, yep, yeah, I've done it many a time. It's amazing. <laughs> it's all there in front of you. I love it. <laughs> well, Mike, your work, it never lets up, man. And it is both, it's inspirational, but more importantly, at least to me, and I know hundreds, if not thousands of other people, your work is integral to trying to sort of I, I guess dismantle these mysteries and repair them in some way, shape, or form. And I know it changes from person to person. And the owl, it continues to sort of weave in and out of these phenomena, you know, with that message that you just talked about. And we have to keep listening. And I hope that um, everyone who listened to this will go grab the book. Um, I'm going to furiously digest the rest of it after we get off here. I'm interested in the cardinal aspect. We'll talk about that after this. But uh, the whole cardinal aspect plays a very pivotal part in my life as well. So that might have to wait for a uh, an extra bonus episode of Somewhere in the Skies. But I do want to thank you so, so much for coming on today, man. It was my pleasure. All right, that's it for this week's show. Again, Mike's books can be found on Amazon, and all of his work can be found at hiddenexperience.blogspot.com. We can be found on Twitter, at Somewhere Skies, and on Instagram, at Somewhere Skies Pod. To contact me personally, and to find all past episodes, and to submit guest or topic suggestions, visit somewhereintheskies.com. If you want to help support the show and receive bonus content, episodes, merchandise, or to be my guest or co-host for a show, consider becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll get all of this and more, and you'll truly be helping the show grow both in quality and quantity. Visit patreon.com backslash somewhere skies to learn more. Please also consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. It helps us gain new listeners on the largest podcast platform in the world. Merchandise can be found at the official Somewhere in the Skies store. Visit tpublic.com and visit the Sprague 5-1 storefront. I'll see you here next week for our 50th episode. 
and we'll have a very special guest to help celebrate. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Are you fascinated by mysterious legends, the paranormal, or UFOs? Do stories of murder, missing persons, and con men send you down internet rabbit holes? Did you grow up watching the TV show Unsolved Mysteries? Does Robert Stack's voice haunt your nightmares? Then our podcast is for you. I'm Liz. And I'm Samantha. Join us every Wednesday as we discuss the original Robert Stack episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. Follow along with us on Amazon Prime or just tune in for our weekly podcast. We are on iTunes, Google Play, and social media at Perhaps It's You. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.